Good morning. Because of his great love, we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Amen. Let's start this morning with a poll question. Let's get to know each other a little bit. The first question is, have you ever made a promise to someone? Is this a unanimous answer? Yes. The second question goes with the first, and you may have noted already. Have you ever broken a promise or not kept your word with someone? And if you don't have your hand up, we're going to have a sermon on lying. (laughs) It's unanimous. There are a couple reasons why we're bad at keeping promises. The first one is we all have a crooked heart by nature. And so we're bad at keeping promises and we break promises. It's called sin. And the second is related to the first because it's a result of sin. But the second reason is because you're not smart enough and you're not strong enough to keep the promises that you make. I remember being about 10 or 11 years old, and I played uh, Little League Baseball for the Royals. This was way before the Royals. The real team was really good, so I wore that with pride. We, weren't, we were the Little League Royals back then. And um, I remember going to baseball practice in Oklahoma City. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty spread out city, so you have to drive pretty far. Uh, um, uh, they, don't they call it um, Texas North or something like that? It's, it's spread out quite a bit, and um, it wasn't easy to get places. My parents were late for picking me up about one or two times. You know, I could probably number them on one hand. But this one time, uh, they were pretty late. In fact, all my other teammates had gone uh, home, and it was just me and the coach, Coach Doug, who was completely patient, a really cool guy, and loved hanging out with me waiting for my parents, uh, picking up baseballs from the outfield. But I was so embarrassed, and I was so uh, embarrassed for myself and for my parents, and I felt bad that he had to stay there, and, and I, began, I was an emotional kid, if you ask my mom. I began to cry, not because they forgot me, but because they were so late in picking me up. And it was in that moment, at like 11 years old, that I made this promise to my kids, I will never be late for picking them up from school or baseball practice or whatever else it is. I made that vow right then and there with myself and my kids. And then I grew up and became a parent and moved to Austin, Texas. And there's this road called I-35. Have you ever driven on it before? Yeah? That's the promise breaker road, isn't it? (laughs) And I failed more than my parents ever did at being on time. Uh, just, a couple, just a couple months ago, picking up my son from school, I, 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 of course, I think I have more time than I actually do. Not smart enough to keep a promise. And I hit the road, and sure enough, it's backed up, and you're, it was a parking lot all the way. I have to drive north a little ways, a couple miles to pick up my son from school. Parking lot, and uh, I eventually get to the, the place of the accident about 30 minutes after school has ended, and the place of the accident is even near the, the, the exit that I have to get to, and it's a semi that's overturned. I'm not strong enough to jump out of my car and pick up a semi so that I can be on time and keep my promise. I'm not smart enough and I'm not strong enough to keep the promises that I make, and the same is true for you. That's why you raise your hands. And kids, you saw your moms and dads raising your hands, their hands too. Uh, moms and dads can make promises, and they can probably be a better promise keeper than a kid. If my son says, Dad, I promise you can do a trust fall and I'll catch you, Judah's not going to do that, but I can make promises like that. But even the best promise makers and the strongest and smartest among us, because of sin, breaks promises. 
So we have this trust problem with each other because of sin. But we also reflect that onto God. The problem is, is that when God, when we look at each other and we break promises and we're maybe at the receiving end of being at the ballpark, uh, you know, 10, 20 minutes after a promise was made or whatever it was, and we feel like the promise has been broken in our life, we put God into that little jar of humanism and we say, God, you must be just like a human because you're making outlandish promises in this book. But the difference is, is that God isn't sinful that God knows all things, and that God is powerful enough to follow through on his promises. We struggle when there's a school shooting, and we say, God, where are you? Are you powerful enough? Are you strong enough? Are you smart enough? We struggle when we're the uh, uh, victim of abuse, whether it be verbal abuse, sexual abuse, um, you know, workplace abuse, and we say to ourselves, God, is there ever any justice for these people? Because these people, many of them just get away without justice, and we think, God, are you smart enough? Are you strong enough? Is your promise there enough that you're looking over all things? We struggle when we perpetually fall back into the same sins again and again and again, and we say, God, can you really forgive me again after I've done this again to you? Jacob the story of Jacob and the stairway from heaven had a trust problem. And you saw it throughout his whole life. In fact, he, he, he was born into a family where there was extreme distrust. The story of Jacob is this. Um, Jacob was born to Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah had a difficult pregnancy. And in her pregnancy, she felt this jostling back and forth in her, in her womb, and she, she inquired of God. She prayed to God, and she said, God, what's going on? And God said, you're going to have two sons. And this is the difference, and this is why there's jostling going on in your, in your womb, because the younger one is going to take the place of the older one, and there's going to be a struggle between them all the time. In fact, whereas in the culture uh, that usually the older one got the blessing and got the honor and got the land and got the lion's share of the inheritance— in your case, it's going to be the younger one. And it's going to cause strife between the two of them throughout their whole life. Rebecca gives birth, and sure enough, the first one that comes out named what? Esau. He's hairy, he's ruddy, he's a hunter. And the second one that comes out with a hand on the heel, because this is what his name means, is who? Jacob. Jacob's grabbing onto the heel as he comes out. They grow up in a culture of cliques, in a culture of favoritism. The father, Isaac, favors Esau, and the mother, Rebekah, favors Jacob. Jacob is a homebody. Jacob is in the kitchen. Jacob is fair-skinned and uh, prefers to be with the family at home. Esau goes out, and he's a hunter. Uh, he's, he's what you might think of as a man's man, the one that should probably get the inheritance, get the, get the honor, get the respect, because he's, he's more of a tribesman. But throughout their whole life, even though God had made the promise to Jacob that he would be the honored one, that he would give him the blessing, they were fighting with each other. And Jacob was, con was constantly deceiving his brother and taking his mother's advice to, 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 to take something that God had already promised that was his. He took God's promises into his own hands. It's almost like he put God into um, a jar and treated him like a human, so this one time Esau comes home from hunting, and you remember this story. He comes home from hunting, and, and Jacob is cooking a stew, 
And he, as he's cooking the stew, uh, Esau says, I'm famished. I've been out hunting. And, and he says, give me some of your stew. And Jacob says, I'm not going to give you any of your stew unless you give me the birthright. Well, what had God already promised Jacob? The birthright. Jacob had to take it into his own hands. His brother became angry later. At the end of Isaac's life, when Isaac was an old man, the father, the same thing happened again. Taking God's promises into his own hand, Jacob caused even more destruction and his mother, Rebekah. Rebekah knew that Isaac was about to give the blessing to Esau. And so Rebekah said to Jacob, quick, dress up as Esau, put on some hair on your arms. Your father, he's blind. He won't know the difference. And then go in there and take the inheritance, take the blessing, get, make, take some food that I'll prepare that seems like Esau's food. And sure enough, Jacob goes and he does that. And by the way, who does that? To a poor old blind man, Jacob did it. And he got the blessing. Even though God had told Rebekah long before, what? I promise that Jacob will get the blessing. Now Esau is angry. And he comes home and he finds out what Jacob has done. And he promises to kill Jacob after Isaac passes away. And that's where we pick up Jacob. Rebekah had told Jacob, your brother's going to kill you. Go run away. Run away to a foreign land, go to my uh, brother's house, Laban, and there you'll find a life that you can live for a while until your brother forgets, like a brother will forget anything like that. Your brother forgets and you can come home again and live at peace in this house. She was hoping for the best, but really, when Jacob had put his hands onto God's promises, he messed them all up and he had tangled up his whole life. Genesis 28, you can follow along in your Bibles, you can follow along on your Holy Word app, you can open it up now if you want to follow along. It says this, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Jacob made his own bed, and now he must lie in it. Notice how the narrator sets up the scene. He's on the run, and he doesn't find a town. He's about 50 miles into a 500-mile journey, and there's no place to stay in Oriental culture. Even if you found a settlement, you could go to that settlement and maybe find somebody that was hospitable enough to take you into their home. There's no place like that. It says instead, he just stops at a certain place in the middle of nowhere. He's alone. It says that... um, it's dark, so he's now at, under threat of animals attacking him. He's under threat of robbers attacking him on the road out in the middle of nowhere. And not only that, but did you see what he, he chose for bedding? He takes a rock and he puts it under his head. Now, I don't know about you, but if your best, <laughs> if your best choice for bedding are rocks, you're not winning at life. And here he is. Whereas before he had a family and he had uh, security, now he's alone. Whereas before he was rich in his father's cattle and his father's estate, and even if his brother would have gotten some of that, he would have gotten some of it too. Whereas before he was rich with the promise of God that he would get the inheritance, now he's poor and penniless. 
Whereas before he was honored and he had this promise from God that he would be a great nation and that, 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 that the younger one would be blessed, now he's dishonored as word about his deception spreads around the camp. And finally, whereas before he had the land, the very land that God promised to the inheritance of Isaac's family, he's on his way out of the land. In his lower story, he had messed it all up and tangled up the promises that God had given him. And you're in my lower story. Have you ever found yourself in a Jacob moment? Without anyone else to blame. Did you know that God promises you through His Son, Jesus Christ, that He gives you a land called the promised land that is greater than any piece of dirt that Jacob got? Or have you abandoned that, that promise from heaven and run after pieces of dirt here on earth? Do you know that God promises you that um, even in the times that you are the most alone and that your friends have all abandoned you, and maybe you're, you're here today and you feel like, yeah, I'm here with a bunch of people, but I feel all alone by myself because I don't know anybody. Did you know that God promises you that he's with you and his presence will never leave you? Or have you run away from his promise? It's the sinful condition, and it's what Jacob found himself in. It's what we find ourselves in, too, and it's destructive. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with other people. But here's the awesome thing about what God does for Jacob. It says that he, he was in a certain place, some place that was a lonely place, some place that was a dark place, some place that was a place that it seemed like he had no money or no security, and it was in that place that God does this. It says... Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. God very often comes to us in the most common places and in what we heard in the reading before while we were still powerless God takes those moments and he says uh, to us, he says, those are the moments that I want to work in. The moments when you're lying on rocks for a bed. The moments that you've messed it all up and made all of my promises tangled up. That's the moment that he says, I want to come to you and I want to give you these promises. Whereas Jacob was once alone, God says to him what? In verse 15, I am with you. Whereas Jacob was once poor, God says, verse 13, I will give you what? This land. He says, uh, Jacob was once dishonored. God says, I will make your family great in verse 14. And in verse 15, Jacob was leaving the very land that God has promised him. And God says what? I'm going to bring you back. Notice what Jacob hears. He hears promises that God says, you've made a tangle of this. 
and I'm going to untangle all of it. And it's not going to be on you, Jacob. It's not going to be you going back to um, somebody and deceiving them to get this back. It's not going to be you winning a battle against Esau. It's going to be me. I'm going to come, and I'm going to do this for you. That's what Jacob hears. And then the second thing is what Jacob sees. First of all, he sees a stairway. Um, We talk about a ladder. We saw a ladder this morning. A stairway is probably more descriptive of the Hebrew here. And it's a stairway that's ascending to the heavens. And it's in a place that is just an ordinary place, but it's the entrance to heaven itself. God is saying, I'm opening up heaven to you, even in your most depressed place, in your most lonely place, I'm making a way. And it's there in that staircase that's opened up and heaven's at the top of it that there's these angels of God that are ascending and descending on the staircase and they're not the hallmark angels, okay? In fact, I hesitate to even put a picture up there because it seems like over the last thousand or two thousand years we've had the same pictures of angels all the time. Angels are like the green berets of heaven. Every time you encounter an angel in the Bible, what do they say? Do not be afraid, because the first thing that you see when you see an angel is a green beret from heaven. Uh, Not just some kind of floaty little thing up in the sky, but they're going to spiritual warfare behind the scenes for you and for Jacob. And God is saying to him, I'm sending you my, my green berets from heaven, and they're there to protect you. They're coming from me to you and coming back to me to protect you. And then he sees this. The Hebrew says, and on top of it, Although some commentators say it could be on top of him, that means over top of Jacob or over top of the ladder, maybe it could even be both, the Lord's presence is there, and the Lord himself is with Jacob. Promises from heaven. Christianity is the only religion where the ladder comes down from heaven, and the only promises that are made from God to us. Just like you heard the words to Jacob, just like you heard the words and the promises in the scene where God appears to him when he was powerless, there's no other religion like it. Where Buddhism says it's the noble eightfold steps, that's the stairway to heaven. And Hinduism says that it's karma and that it's the stairway is, is, uh, is Samstra and, and Nirvana that you have to get up there to God. That's the stairway. Islam says it's the five pillars and, and, and Judaism says it's the Ten Commandments. But do you know what the God of the Bible says? <laughs> he says, Dan, you're lying on rocks for a bed. Let me come down to you. I will rescue you promise from heaven. I will be with you. You don't come to me. Promise from heaven. I will give you the land. I will give you eternal life. Promise from heaven. God is strong enough. God is smart enough. And God became weak enough to do just that. Very early in his ministry, Jesus um, met this, this man named Nathaniel. Philip was the first one to say, come and see. It's, come and see Jesus of Nazareth. You have to see him for yourself. John chapter 1. And Nathaniel comes to Jesus, and, uh, and, and Jesus says to Nathaniel, now here's a true Israelite in which there is no deceit. He calls him an Israelite. And he, he honors him by saying that, I think. Or was it sarcasm? I can't tell. 
And Nathanael says to him, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I knew you because I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree before Philip invited you to see me. And Nathanael says, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus says, you're impressed by that, that I knew that you were sitting underneath a tree before Philip invited you. And then Jesus said this. He said to him, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Think about what this means. Think about what he's saying to an Israelite about the greatest Israelite. Do you know what Jacob was renamed after he wrestled with God? Israel. He is like the name Israel. He and his story about being at this place called Bethel where heaven was open to him and God came down to him and made these great promises. Jesus is saying, think about the greatest Israelite that you can think about, Israel himself. And all the promises that were made to him, you think those were great. You think it's great that I can see you underneath a fig tree. You're going to see even greater things when God reveals himself through me in signs and in wonders and in healing and in giving people hope and when I'm suspended between heaven and earth to die for the sins of the whole world. Promise from heaven kept. It's bad enough that there's a school shooting and that innocent lives are taken. But it would be even worse if, um, if God didn't give us the promise of eternal life, that all people that look to him would have life that goes beyond life on this earth. And that's the promise that God makes right here, that he comes down to us and he says, I've become so weak that I'd lived in your place and died in your place, now you can believe the promise that I give everyone eternal life who comes to me and believes. And that's a greater promise than a piece of land that Jacob got or that his descendants would become as many as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky like it was promised to his, his great-grandfather. And it's bad enough that we get abused and that there is abuse that's serious and needs to be addressed in our society and in our world, but it'd be even worse if there wasn't a God who, who, who sees all things. He even sees you when you're sitting under a fig tree. That same God sees every crime. And he's not going to let it go unserved, not at the cross where he died for the sins and not on the last day when he comes to judge all people. He is strong enough, and He is smart enough. Promise from heaven. And, and with the sins that I struggle with and you struggle with each and every day, and we say to God, how in the world could you forgive again and again and again? Are you, are you that powerful? He says, I, become, I am so powerful that I became so weak that I died for all of those sins, for you, for Jacob, for the deceiver. Now believe. Jacob encountered this God, and and he woke up from the dream, and he worshiped this God. It's not a perfect worship, but let's look at it for just a moment as we close. Verse 16 says this, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. 
He called the place Bethel, and the footnote says that means house of God, though the city used to be called Lutz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up will be a pillar of God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Okay. You have a new life under God's grace. And this new life that Jacob has is a life, it's a life completely of worship. But the, the thing that bothers me when you read this, and maybe it bothered you too, is that he, he still hasn't wrestled with God. His story isn't over. That comes about four chapters later. But in this moment, when he wants to worship God, he says, he, he makes it conditional. Like he's making a deal again, like he's going to do throughout his whole life. He says what? If, God, you come through on your promise, if you give me food, if you give me clothes, if you give me a safe journey, if you give me the land back, then I'll give you a tenth of everything that I have back. Impressive, huh? (laughs) God had work to do on his heart. But he began worshiping. And his worship would grow the more and more as he saw God's promises fulfilled. I'm telling you today, friends, do not wait for an if-then worship with God. Because he's given you everything on the cross. He's come through on every promise, and he will in the future. And when you give or when you worship, don't just think of a tenth, but think of your whole self. Imagine if God did the same kind of deal with you, and he said, Dan, um, if you don't lie, if you're good to your family all the time, 100%, if you're never late for picking up your son from school, If you're the perfect friend 100% of the time, or maybe even 50% of the time, if you do all of that, I'll give you grace. He doesn't. He comes to you first and he says, I give you grace 100% of the time. Promise from heaven, I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, I'm gracious enough. Now worship me 100%. And I will because I want to. Because he's opened up heaven to me and given me eternal life. And he's come through on every promise that he said that he would come through on. Uh, This past week, a great evangelist named Billy Graham passed away. He's almost as uh, ancient as America, I feel. I mean, he's like been there forever. In fact, every time in the last five years I heard the name Billy Graham, I had to Google him to make sure he was still alive he is uh, one of the most uh, profound, uh, popular evangelists that has uh, spread the gospel across America and really the world. He spoke to tens of thousands. In one case, even a million people, it's estimated, at one time. Just a true instrument of, of God's gospel in the spread of the word of God. Not a perfect man, and who is, but a man that spoke the truth from the Bible and that pointed people to Jesus. Um, he was a, 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 a minister to American's presidents, going back to Harry uh, Truman. Just incredible, just the influence that he's had. And I never knew the man personally, but uh, about 12 years ago, my aunt, my godmother, passed away. And um, it was shocking. It was July 4th, and she passed away suddenly. And there, after the funeral at my uncle's house, was flowers and a personal card from guess who? Billy Graham. He was a friend of the family. Um, I bring him up because this isn't the right place to eulogize, but it is a place to thank God for the gifts that he's given his church. 
And when we talk about the promises of God like we're talking about this morning, uh, I want to bring it to your attention, a quote from him that he said once, and it's one that resonates with me, and I hope that it resonates with you as we close today. He says, I trust Jesus with all my tomorrows, knowing that he will solve the mystery of life beyond the grave. Jesus' promise from heaven is that the angels of God are ascending and descending. He's arisen. He's alive. He's alive today, and he's ruling over your life in every way. And he sees your tomorrows, and, and, and we worry about the tomorrows, and we worry about getting our hands on the inheritance, uh, the plot of land on this earth, but he says, I've given it you at all. And there's nothing that you need to worry about. I've made you rich, as rich as the blood of my son that I gave on the cross for you. So worship him with your whole self. Amen.